At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Conspiranormal. Welcome to Conspiranormal, everybody. It's your host, Adam. Uh, Serfiel is here as well. And uh, we've got an interesting show for you guys tonight. Got uh, something a little different than usual. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get into the world of uh, treasure hunting. And we've got a real-life treasure hunter. Yeah, if you want to introduce our guest, Serfiel, this is really some stuff that you've been really passionate about lately. So I'm just kind of sit back and listen, chime in when I can. But uh, go ahead and introduce our guest here. We have got on the line Mr. Terry Carter, and he is uh, connected and respected in the world of treasure hunting. It has a prolific YouTube channel. Has uh, been on a bunch of television shows and podcasts, and is also the founder of the Ancient Historical Research Foundation. Terry, welcome to Conspiracy Normal. Man, thank you, and I'm honored that you'd even think about inviting me to a show like this, so thank you. Yeah, well, you've actually been on before. You came on with Dave Altman and Micah Hanks back in September of 2020. So, yeah, it's been it's been a little while, but we're glad to have you back. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Thank you, Terry. And I think this stuff really uh, fits in well with... Uh a lot of the different topics uh, that we talk about, but I think it's kind of a treasure hunting is kind of a neglected part. It seems like to uh, most people who are interested in paranormal stuff and conspiracy theory and some of these, these mysteries and legends. Um, But I know treasure legends were some of the first big mysteries that really caught my imagination uh, when I was growing up in the American Southwest outside of Phoenix, uh, the lost Dutchman mine lore in particular. And uh, I started re revisiting that one again and uh just finding a lot of really uh strange things surrounding it and really got me back into looking into treasure hunting and treasure legends as a, a part of all these mysteries yeah i i you know i haven't done a lot of treasure hunting for the for the lost dutchman um but i i looked a little bit and i know them people out there you know the guy wayne tuttle and and those that were on the show uh uh, legends of the superstition mountains. And they invited me one time to go on out to their, their, uh, treasure hunting rendezvous. And I did and met all them guys and had a great time. They showed me a few things, but an interesting thing that happened to me while I was there, which is in the paranormal realm and, and, and freaked me out when I found out about it later, four months later. 
and I didn't know what to think and, and completely changed my perspective on the on the paranormal and I I don't know if you want to want me to get into that I don't you probably don't even know about this and and I don't know if you want me to talk just about treasure hunting or paranormal what happened to me there or yeah yeah go for it you've intrigued me already so I I I was at the the Dutch hunters rendezvous and uh they gave me a ticket to go to the lost Dutchman museum there and so on my way home I stopped off there and and i through it and as I was leaving there was an older gentleman there with a name tag on it and he stopped me and asked me where I was from and at the time you know I'm I live in Utah but I, at the time I, I work all over the country you know on power plants mines things like that my company I work for sends me all over the place at the time I was working on a power plant in Wyoming and so I told this guy I says well I I live in Utah but on the weekends but on the weekdays I'm I'm uh, living in Wyoming. I'm working on a power plant here. And, and I mentioned the power plant to him. He says, oh, man, I've worked on that and all these other ones. And so I thought immediately, I thought, well, this guy, if, if he's, he must be from Wyoming, if he's, he's worked on all them power plants, and he must uh, um, be out here searching for the lost Dutchman mine is what I thought. And I thought, you know, having a YouTube channel, I thought, well, this will be a great a great if he's got a great story i'll i'll see if i can't get an interview out of him so i can post it on my channel you know so i so i started asking him some questions and asking him you know if he was looking for the lost dutchman and he says well he he had been looking for it but he more than anything he was just a uh um a historian but the climate brought him out there to to the mm. uh the the superstition area the the patchy junction area and uh, that's the reason he moved out there. And I says, well, tell me a great story. And so he starts telling me about how he'd heard that the, there was these uh, charcoal ovens built by the pioneers and uh, on the mountains above it um, was a heart on the mountain. And he thought that had something to do with the Lost Dutchman Mine. And he looked all over for somebody who knew where that was. And he really wasn't having any luck finding anybody. And finally, he found somebody by the name of uh, Salvador Delgadillo. Well, it just so happened that I'd met Salvador Delgadillo at this at this treasure hunter's rendezvous, hmm. and so he starts telling me that that uh, um, he Salvador takes him out there. They're ten miles out there in the desert. It's in the middle of the summer. It's hot. They see the coke ovens, the the charcoal ovens. They see the heart on the mountain. And so they see those, and they start coming out. And he gets a flat tire, so he changes it, and then they get another flat tire. So he's got to ride on a rim and then he gets another flat tire. So he's riding on two rims and they're back in there 10 miles and, and they get stuck and they can't <laughs> get out. And he tells me this big, long story. I mean, he went into detail of everything that happened and, and it was a great story, but nothing that I wanted to video, you know, I, I wished I would have videoed that anyways. Uh, um, he says, finally, nobody's coming out there. So in, at, at nighttime, they decide to hike out. So they hike out all night. Um, early in the morning, they hear some noise on a bluff. They hike up there. There's a road up there. They see a mom up there, an older couple. They feed them breakfast, take them back to town. They get the friend, get new tires, come out, retrieve their Jeep. You know, just a great getting stuck story, but nothing I wanted for my YouTube channel, you know? Well, I never thought anything, any more of it, you know? Yeah. Told, told him good, told him good goodbye. Well, four months later, um, I'd heard that there was, uh, some Egyptian artifacts found near the Gila River uh, by by a couple of guys. They was out there on their motorcycles, and they was clear off the beaten path. And the one 
uh, was flipping donuts there on the Gila River, and he flipped up this old ancient-looking necklace that looked like Egyptian. And so I was going out there to see if I could look at this, talk with this guy, and, and talk, see about this uh, Egyptian-looking necklace that was found, because I've been tracking down uh, Egyptian artifacts that's been found here in the in the western United States. Anyways, uh, um, I stopped in to see Salvador Delgadillo as, as, as I was headed to visit this guy. And uh, I asked Salvador, because Salvador um, was one of these guys who knew all the old-time treasure hunters. He worked with all of them. He knew all their stories. He was involved with all of them. You know, Salvador was one guy that knew everything that was going on at the Superstition Mountain and, and around it. So I asked Salvador, I said, you ever heard hear of any uh, Egyptian artifacts being found around here, Salvador? And he says, well, there was this one guy, he says, uh, he found a cave. I don't know exact, I know the area. I don't know exactly where the cave's at, but I know the area and it had Egyptian or Oriental artifacts in it. And he, he never did tell anybody where it was at, but I know the approximate area. He said, come on, let's go. So, you know, we jump in my truck and we go clear out there in the middle of nowhere. And as we're driving out there, he says, stop. There's the charcoal ovens that the pioneers built. And above that, there's a heart in the mountain, you know, and, and right then my, my mind clicked. And, and I remembered this old boy at the Lost Dutchman Museum telling me how, you know, Salvador took them out there and they got stranded and flat tires and that. And I said, Salvador, I met a buddy of yours. He says, you guys came out here and got stranded, got three flat tires and had to hike out. He says, oh, yeah, that's, that's Jim Hatton. He starts telling me the story and it matched exactly what you know, the, the, the older gentleman that told me and, and, and Salvador would tell me something. I'd say, yeah, he told me that. And he also told me this and, and Salvador would say, yeah, that happened. And this, and we going back and forth. Anyways, I says, I met him three or four months ago and he looks at me kind of funny. And he says, you, you couldn't have, I says, what do you mean? I couldn't have, he says, that was Jim hat, man. He's been dead for eight to 10 years. And I thought, no way, this guy was not dead. I was, I mean, I was talking to him for face to face for a half hour. And wow. so finally, finally, you know, uh, my mind's starting to, to, to race, trying to recall what happened three, three or four month, months back, you know, cause he, he did not look dead to me. So I'm thinking Salvador, he, he must be, he must think Jim's dead, but, but he's, or, and he's not because, you know, I met him face to face and talked to him. So anyways, I, I go into, I was going into Goldfield Ghost Town, which is owned by Bob Schuess. He's a treasure hunter there in the, for the Lost Dutchman mine. And I asked Bob, I says, Bob, do you know Jim Hatt? He says, oh yeah, Terry. He says, you'd have liked him. He says, he was some kind of an engineer and worked on all them power plants in Wyoming like you are. And uh, I says, yeah, I met him three or four, four months ago. And he looks at me kind of funny. He says, you couldn't have. He's been dead for eight to 10 years. And so now my mind is really racing, you know, so I go back to the, the lost Dutchman museum. I'm going to find this guy. Yeah. So I go there and I'm looking around and I don't see him. And, and I, and I'm trying to even remember what he really looked like. I mean, it wasn't, it was, it was just, you know, happenstance that I, he stopped me and I talked to him for a while. I'm just trying to really remember what all happened three or four months ago, you know? And so I go into the, to the, to the, the desk there at the museum. And I, and I asked the guy, I says, uh, Hey, is Jim hat around? He says, there's, there's nobody here that I know of by that name, Jim hat. I says, yeah, I met him here three or four months ago. He's got a name tag on, gives tours or does something here. He says, well, let, let me go ask in the back. He says, I've been here three or four years and I don't, I've never heard of that name, but you know, every now and again, we have volunteers that come in and, and 
maybe he comes in every now and again. And I just never met him, you know? So he goes back to the back and asks somebody back there and he comes back. He says, Oh yeah, Jim, Jim hat. He's uh he's one of the guys that helped start up this museum, but he's been dead for eight to 10 years. And I thought, wow, you know, I wish I really had recorded that to see what happened because he was not dead. I mean, he looked live to me. There was other people around. I was talking to him. I don't know if other people could see him or if they was ignoring me because I'm talking to myself. I don't know, you know, but that, that blew my mind and opened up my realm to the paranormal because that's the first experience and only experience that I've ever had like that. So That's pretty crazy, Terry. That's, uh, that's pretty crazy. Wow. You talk to a dead guy. And, and I didn't even know it for, for yeah, three or four months later. Yeah. And it makes me wonder because he did not look dead. You know, I was expecting, you know, nothing, see nothing, leave. nothing was falling off of him or anything like that. There was no, no, yeah. I mean, he looked normal to me, you know, and, I, and it made me think, wow, how many other times has that happened? And I didn't know it, you know, wow. and I would have never known. I would have never known if, if, uh, if, uh, Salvador hadn't said, stop, look, there's the, there's the charcoal ovens, you know, yeah. and, and that's when it clicked. I would have never known if Salvador hadn't, if we hadn't gone out there and Salvador hadn't said that, I'd have never known, you know, and, if yeah, I the hadn't fact that questioned he, Salvador. He gave you that piece of information that later was, yeah, where'd that information come from? The other side or something. Since then, you know, I, I was kind of a skeptic of, of the paranormal because I'd never had anything happen really, you mm-hmm. know, but, but. I'm, I'm no longer a skeptic. Something happens. I don't, I don't understand what, and I, and, and for, for weeks I was racking my brain just trying to remember what happened. Cause it was three or four months ago, you know? So you're a believer now I, I'm a, I'm a believer in something because you know, he, but he did not look dead to me and, I, and uh, on the paranormal and treasure hunting deal, I just had a guy contact me. Um, he's building some kind of a, an app. Um, for some psychics some paranormal intuitives uh, that we're going to be testing and putting together test questions and treasure hunting questions. It'll be a closed group and see if we can see how maybe this can relate or, or get some kind of insight on some of these big treasure treasures. You know, um, I would have never been open to something like this if this experience hadn't happened to me. And who knows what will happen and where it'll fall, but it's going to be interesting anyway because we're going to get a, a a group of them together and they won't know the test questions they won't know the site but we'll see what kind of answers we get and and they know how to do all that i'm just i'm just helping them out with it it should be an interesting an interesting deal so we'll see what happens as we continue to explore and talk about treasure hunting and, and legends i think we're going to find a lot of uh, paranormal overlaps going on and uh, other things that a lot of our listeners are interested in um, but before we get into more of that terry i just wanted uh, you to give everyone a little bit of information about yourself and y- your background and how you got into treasure hunting in the first place so i'm an electrician by trade industrial electrician work mainly on power plants mines um, processing plants, refineries, things like that. And the company I work for right now, we're traveling all over the country. Um, but, uh, when I first got into the field back in the early eighties, I, I went to work on, they was building a power plant out, out in the state where I live out in near Vernal, Utah. And I had no clue about the treasure hunting world, but they, I learned of a, 
of a story of the of the lost roads mine of of where uh, the Indians uh, gave to the to the Mormon Church a bunch of gold, and uh, they would only let one guy go get it, and uh, you know from that all kinds of legends, rumors, maps um, materialized on on where he was getting this gold, and that there was more than one one gold mine and then and then people would start coming forward with all the different things that they'd found and then that intrigued me and i was instantly hooked because that was it was talking about an area where i used to go hunting in where i mm-hmm. knew some of these areas and and i found out about a book read it and they was talking about some of the areas i knew about and i'd see some of the things and so um it, it was just fascinating to me you know i love the outdoors i love the adventure and and it was just another excuse for me to get into the outdoors, and 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 it was something that 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 was really intriguing. So that's how I got started, and and you know the the rest is history. So since '81, I've I've just been uh, tracking down treasure legends, stories, uh, you know, interviewing anybody I could, the old timers before they pass away, trying to to get information that that they're willing to pass on, and and it's just been a great adventure. And if nothing else, you know, I've, I've met a lot of great people and heard a lot of great stories that most people will never get to hear, um, seen things that most people will never get to see. And, and, and really that's the treasure, you know, that's the real treasure. Yeah. I really, I really like, um, how you guys have this sense of community and, and that, uh, that journey itself, you know, even if you don't find the treasure, I think a lot of us can relate to that in our different, Mm -hmm. uh, fields of research and the, you know, that the uh, people along the way that you get to meet and, and share with, you know, that's a, the real rewarding part of it. So what are some of the different kinds of, of treasure and treasure legends? You have things like Spanish treasure, lost mines. I'm out here in Utah, you know, that's, that's the main bulk of it is the Spanish, the Spanish treasures, the lost mines is the same by the Spaniards. Um, um, uh, along with that, you know, there's speculation and some proof that that these mines were mined before the Spaniards by the ancients. You know that there there was uh, uh, intercontinental travel before Com- Columbus. There's there's even theorized and and some artifacts that found that the Romans were over here uh, mining some of this stuff. You know, some people think that that uh, uh, King Solomon's you know was this is the area where he got his gold at, and so. You know, there's just uh, all kinds of things. One of the, you know, I'm working on several projects, but one one project I'm working on is is uh, the Lost Josephine Mine, where where the uh, Spaniards was in there mining it. The Indians, um, they enslaved the Indians and and worked them to death. And for some funny reason, the Indians didn't like working to death. You know, being enslaved, and so they revolted against the Spaniards and and uh, you know wiped them out, drove them out, drove them out. And, and, and they had to leave all their processed gold, their gold bars behind because they was fleeing for their lives. And, and, and most of them never made it back. You know, they, most of them died. And then the, and then the Indians, whatever it took, they, they would, they hit that up. If it took the tribe the whole year, you know, covering it up by, you know, basket by basket, bushel by bushel of dirt, you know, um, Whatever it took, hiding these mines, uh, burying the gold bars, um, they they did it because it, it was nothing but bad medicine for them. And so, you know, that's what we're out looking for. Some of the old timers, uh, the old Indians, told some of 
some of the, you know, the stories passed down of, of them guarding it or their family guarding it and where some of these things are. And so that's some of the stuff we're looking for. But the Josephine mine, um, that's one of the stories where we have a document where they said that, you know, they, there was uh, 42 of them and they, and they all, and, and most of them all died, but eight, eight of them escaped with their lives. And, and they left the document of what they left behind and in the mine behind a wooden door, um, they left uh, 200 and some odd cargoes of gold and 700 and some odd cargoes of silver. The uh, cargoes roughly a uh, 100 to 300 pounds. So just in gold bars alone, we've got over a billion dollars just in gold bars. Well, that's that's a great story, and there's really no proof that 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 this is the right location where I'm looking, but I, I ran across an older gentleman that in the, in the early seventies, him and his two brothers uh, went down this cavern and they was following the air uh, movement of air um, that was, that was going and, and they was down in this cavern all day long and they, they got lost. They couldn't find their way out and their, their lights are growing dim. So they turned off all the lights, but, but one, so they're using one flashlight to save the other two and uh, trying to find their way out. They came across this door that was, they said that the craftsmanship on it was, was something like you see in the TV shows on the old castles and dungeons and that, you know, it was eight foot tall, seven foot wide. It was perfect. It was arched. It was perfectly mat, you know, sealed into the, into the rock work. It was something like they'd never seen before, but they didn't have time to explore it. They was trying to find their way out. Finally, out of last ditch um, effort, trying to get out the, the one guy, he, he uh, knelt down and, and said a prayer, you know, help, help us get out of here and I'll never come back again. And, and he got off his knees, turned his light back on and, and it just happened to hit an arrow that was carved on the wall and it pointed the way out and they got out and they never, ever went back. And so I found out about that. And so now we're, we're down there trying. And, and Tom, uh, the guy who told me the story, he won't go back down because his promise that he made to God, but his brother, Tim never made that promise. And I just spoke with Tim. And, and as soon as we can get back up there, when the snow's melted, he's going to go down with us and, and help us try and locate this door. So what's behind this door um, is these gold bars and that behind this door, the silver bars, or there's something else, or is this more anciently? I don't know because there was also a Roman coin found down in this cavern. Well, what's a what's a Roman coin doing down in the middle of a, a cavern like this? And so that goes back to you know where there's speculation where where the Aztec bought treasure up here, where the Romans were up here, where the, you know there's all kinds of speculation. But until we find you know proof verification 100% that we can document, have the archaeologists on, it's 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 just some great stories. But but I'm trying to find out what the great stories are. That's one of those big cash uh, stories, it sounds like. And those are the ones that seem to really grip people's imaginations, like the Lost Dutchman mine, like the Lost Roads that you talk about, these ideas that there are these certain caches that just have tremendous wealth. And they would be, I guess, uh, really guarded by uh, other treasure hunters, you know, not wanting to share their secrets and, and maybe even some kind of supernatural guardians, too. So, so there have been cash is found um but unless you know the per people personally unless they trust you you'll never ever hear hear a thing about it you know um they just want to fly under the radar and not want a soul to know what's going on and and that's 
I can understand why, because the government will come after them, take the treasures, they'll get in trouble. Um, but, but the sad thing is, is we lose a part of history because of that. You know, we lose history because of that. So can I ask you a question, Terry? Uh, yeah. What's the government's interest in taking those treasures? You know, the government, I, I can't speak for the government because sure. I'm, you know, right. I, I don't, I don't really know. I, I, you know, I, I don't know if I can say this on here or, or I think, I think most of the government is corrupt. I think the people that are, that go in that are honest in that, I think that they, they get, they, they, they get, uh, uh, blackmailed and blackballed. And if they don't play along with the corruption, you know, and, and, uh, it's, it's like, I don't know if you know about the, uh, um, the white sands missile base, base, the treasure that was there on Victoria peak, Doc Noss, um, and Ova Noss, you know, they mm. found all kinds of treasures they found thousands and thousands of gold bars. And they, Doc brought a hundred, hundred of the gold bars out and and even sold some to the to the Denver Mint, and and pretty soon, whether the government knew about it or they it just happened, they put White Sands Missile Range there in New Mexico, and uh, kicked them off. Doc Noss got got uh, you know they say it was self defense, but he got he got murdered. His wife Nova Ova was tr- trying to fight in the government to try and get in, but meanwhile documents came out that Johnson came in and, and uh, got all that gold out of there, uh, flew it out in B-52 bombers to his own personal uh, private uh, place in Mexico where he had an airstrip built to, to land these, um, and, and, and he got it. So it didn't go to help the people, you yeah. know. So, so what, 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 what does the government do with it? I, I think the government could do a lot of good with it, but I don't think they do. I think it lines some some corrupt politicians, you know, pockets. And, and, and the main thing, you know, there's the antiquities law, anything older than 50 years old, you know, if it's on uh, government property, it belongs to the, to the government. And, and I can see some value into that, you know, where they don't want to lose history. You know, if, if, if there's a, a Indian village found or, you know, something where they need to document and that, but, but the problem is, is they go in and document it and they, and they keep it a secret and hidden from you and I, and we never get to learn about it anyway. You know, like, like the giants, like things like that, it gets, it gets hushed up and, and we never get to hear about it anyway. And so, um, you know, so, so either way, whether the government gets it and has control of it or whether a private person gets it and has control, of it, we still never got to get to hear about it, you know? So yeah. it's, it's a messed up system we got. It sounds like we're getting into where where treasure hunting crosses over into a lot of conspiracy theory. Um, And I guess a lot of treasure hunters often find themselves at at odds with the government uh, because a lot of these places that they're looking for are on government lands, either the BLM or the Forest Service and things like that. And like you said, they have the antiquities and mining laws, uh, stricter regulations in different states, of course. But... I think there's a general idea I've seen also among a lot of uh, people that you interview on your channel that the the powers that be really don't want us to have uh, gold because they want to keep them keep it to themselves. It seems like that uh, there's a lot of that, and then also uh, these ideas of these hidden histories and and secret societies are all over this lore too. Yep. Yeah. It's 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 interesting that you know a lot of a lot of this. Uh what would you say, you know, treasure hunting and the, 
the the talk about secret societies, the secret things you know come into to play. You know the the knights of the the golden circle, the 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 cage the KGC, the the masons, the knights templars. You know is all kind of a uh, secret society that 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 hid treasures and hid things and and their mysteries and and you know I I don't know all there is to know about that stuff but it's it's you know what I hear people talking about is 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 pretty interesting but the, that's what uh, this guy told me they they don't they want us to have the paper money and save the gold for the elite so if they find gold in these like places. Uh, these these artifacts and stuff they'll just take it yep 100 percent, they'll take it so so what we're dealing with here at the at the lost josephine mine you know the the uh the mine owner um who and i had to make a deal with him you know before i could go in there and 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 do anything with this we had to make an agreement had some papers signed um, between us and him and uh but he's a smart guy he he was a political science major and he also went to law school and so he knows how to play their games. And so he's got it figured out. We'll see how it works out. But he's got it figured out with the binding laws and the, and the, uh, the, the, the Spanish-American Revolution and how the documents, everything was signed over and how it was abandoned property that we should be able to keep this. If we find this, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> All right. I know talking with, the, I was, I know talking with uh, uh, Mel Fisher's daughter, I don't know if you now know who he is. He found the Atosha, that, that sunken Spanish galleon off the, the coast of Florida where they found veins in, in gold and silver and jewels and stuff like that. And they, his, his daughter, um, I talked with her, Taffy, because the Fishers was out here in Utah um, looking for Spanish treasure. Anyways, uh, talking with her, you know, they fought the government, fought them tooth and nail, man. They took them back to court um, on appeals, man, like 70 some odd times. And every time the Fishers won, and finally they had to pay all the court costs and everything. So they they uh, negotiated a deal to have all the salvage rights for the 1715 uh, fleet that that all got wiped out in a in a hurricane there. But but what Taffy told me they do is when they find a treasure, they don't they don't go to the the government or the police or anything. They go to the sheriff and they have the sheriff arrest the treasure. <laughs> so the sheriff arrests it. And then locks it up, and then uh, and then till it's it's uh, settled in court. So, okay, that's the trick. That's a trick. <laughs> Never heard of having your gold treasure, your treasure arrested before, but that's what the Fishers did. Yeah, it sounds like that might be the best best thing to do. Um, a lot of this stuff, you know, starts with just a legend. But then one thing I, I really respect about this community is there is a lot of research into primary sources whether that's archives and and maps and and old newspaper articles and things like that can you kind of take us through this process of how one would go about searching for a particular treasure starting just with a legend so man it's so much easier nowadays because of the internet you know back back before the internet i remember having to do interlibrary loans going to the to the local university and, and looking up microfish for the old newspaper articles and things like that. But, but, but you're exactly right. You gotta, you gotta find where the source came from and keep tracking it back to the farthest source that you can find. And then, 
and then make some determinations if it just even makes sense or if it's just sensationalized, you know, reporting. Because there, there are a lot of lies out there. You know, okay. there are a lot, a lot of liars out there. And so sometimes it's hard to decide what's real and, and what's not. And so, you know, you got to, you, you do have to do your due diligence. It's 95% research and, and, and 5% boots on the ground, you know, but you want to make sure that you're not, you're not track chasing one of those lies, one of them, one of them stories that, that isn't true, you know, and, and sometimes that gets hard to do. And so you just got to look for the best ones and, and, you know, you have a multiple, uh, uh, stories that you're chasing down and then if you happen to have an an eyewitness account like i had you know i had the document of the the lost josephine mine with the way bill with the with the treasure behind the wooden door and then i got an eyewitness to a guy who in the 70s found uh, a a door you know so you know you you just got to kind of marry uh different sources together and, and sometimes you hear the story like i knew the story of the lost josephine mine but it was you know, 20 years later before I found this guy who, who's seen the door, you know, and he didn't really know the story of the, of, of the, the gold and silver bars that was behind it. He just seen the doors. So. Now, now, now I can't say that now. That might be libelous. Well, well, I don't want on any, any kind of those problems, but we're here to tell you. I don't really. The care. truth. Only the truth. So help well, us God. I don't have to. Hang in there, Orvis. Well, Shelby, I'm pretty damn highfalutin' mad, I can tell you that. Well, by God, why are you mad? Now, we're back, and, and we're, we're, we're going to get to it now and talk about con- continue our expose of the secrets of conspiranormalism and where it goes from there. So we're going to continue our discussion of conspiranormalism and where it continues... And, and so, after you're a conspiranormalist, a member of the International Association of Conspiranormal, and you get the secret communications every every week on there on the Patreon feed, then you are asked to join the Mystic Crew. Now, why don't you tell them a little something about that, Horace? Well, the Mystic Crew ball is this, uh, that's what they call it, you know, where they, like, get these speakers or whatever to come on, and they... They talk about uh, just, I don't know, the weirdest shit I ever heard, man. I, I, like, saw research and, like, it's like 70s disco. I don't I don't even know. And, uh... I, was, I never liked that disco. I never did either. I, I used to burn my disco record. My, my, you know, my sister had some disco records. I used to burn them. I took them out of the stadium and blew them up. But, you know, you got to really watch out with this stuff. I mean, they're, they're spreading some lying, Satanist, Canaanite propaganda. That's what's going on. I'm telling you right now. So when they ask you to join, how does that go now? They ask, once you're in the International Association of Conspiracy Anomalists, and they, they ask you to join this other club, and it's the Mystic Crew Ball. Right. So... So, you know, so there you are. You're part of that club, right? And you're getting them perks. And you get your little membership pin, like the communists would give you. And you're listening to the Patreon episodes. And, and your brother, not, not, not your real brother, but like 
your brother in the group in the secret society. He asks you if you go into that their strange reality streaming event, formerly known as Mr. Creeball. See, see, they're constantly changing it on you. They're changing. That's kind of get you. That that's it. That's like it's a bait and switch, but it's like a code. You know, you gotta understand these people. You gotta understand where they come from. You know. Well, well, now you start to wonder why you wasn't invited to that party, and then you see your brother there. Again, that's that's your that's your group brother, not your real brother. Okay, I'm making a description. It might be your real brother if he's part of it, but whatever. There is another special pen, and he tells you that while anyone can go, members of the Mystic Crew get in for free, and they can go and go back and watch these presentations anytime. And now, I mean, you start feeling a little left out. You know, I mean. Now, it's human nature, right? You start now, feeling left out. Now let me interrupt you. Now, so. Is is this like an, another level to the international order of conspiranormalists? Or is this a separate thing altogether, this mystic crew? Well, you see, what they say is is that the same thing, but you got to be a conspiranormalist in good standing to join the mystic crew. Oh. That's how it works. Oh. Okay, that's how it works. All right, so. Uh, uh, so you uh, see what I'm talking about? And I, I understand this mystic crew has run into some... A controversy from being involved in all sorts of debauchery using their anonymity and cover of a simple Mardi Gras society. But their, their carnival is a carnival of, of life and death, I tell you. Well, you know, that, that, that sounds real familiar, Shelby. I don't know where I've heard that, that phrase before, carnival of life and death. Well, you know, we're, we're, we're working here, y'all. We're, we're working here to expose uh, the, uh, Adam Sane and that surf file. So surf, on, on, surf, on the first... I don't even know what his name is. On the is. first one, now you you learned about the International Association of Conspiranormalists. That's right. And now we're telling you about the Mystic Crew. That's right. And he, on the next episode, we are going to dive deep into the core of this, the core controlling elect secret hidden group. Well, well, Shelby Hoffman Jr., uh, what I what I wanted to say real quick is that that, that Mr. Crew Ball, otherwise known as them strange reality streaming events, those take place every every third Friday of the month at uh, usually about eight o'clock PM and uh, people could join in and uh, and uh, talk to these people. I want to do it myself, but you know, like that's 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 the way they do it. They have their little mystic meetings. So, and uh, and I understand tickets are available as well on the Eventbrite Strange right. Realities yeah. page. They've yeah. got the new event on there. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's all hidden in plain sight, right there. You know, they, they talk about it, and you, you like you, that's how they get you. Is they get you to pay ten dollars, and you think, well, you know, I mean, you, you might want to just not be part of the Patreon, but you or whatever it is, I don't know. That you might as well. But yeah, and then, then, you, then you might as well and stuff. So that, I mean, that's that's how they get you, and uh, you gotta... Guilt by association. Yeah, you, you gotta watch out with this. Uh, these people are really serious neuro-linguistic programmers. So, uh, next time, I guess we're gonna, um, Ancient Circle of Strange Realities, I guess what we're gonna hit we're next. Expose. And, and we're gonna do an expose, and we're gonna keep interrupting this, uh, this, this satanic show, uh, that is, uh, warping the minds of a lot of people out there, and, uh, you know, you got, you, you can't, you can't trust these conspiracy. And, and, and again, you, you can find all that mess on patreon.com slash conspiranormal. Uh, that's right, you can, but I want to look for it. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. 
by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And then I guess one of the, the big things that people have in their imagination is this idea of... Uh, treasure maps and um also when you're out you know looking in the area these uh treasure signs so can you tell people about some of these maybe famous maps or or uh methods of making maps because they're not always just a a flat paper map sometimes they're like in objects or or bricks or or different kind of artifacts and things like that too so so the maps um the maps, if, if they're out there, there's only a few reasons they're, they're out. Unless you happen to find one in some old, you know, family heirloom Bible or dusty, you know, museum or, or something, unless you happen to come across one, you know, the ones that are in books, um, there's several reasons they're out there. One, that the, the, the guy who wrote the book has exhausted his chance on, on looking for them. Two, they've dockered them up so that they, they aren't exactly the same maps they got. Or, or three, they frauded them themselves, you know. And so maps, you know, there's really not uh, a lot of that. You used to be, you know, markings on trees, the old pine trees, you know. But a lot of them, the pine beetles and the, and the fire is destroyed. And um, if you have a story of something in the area you know, you need to just kind of search boots on the ground and just kind mm-hmm. of look for, for things that don't look natural. You know, a pile of rocks that don't look natural, that had to be put there man-made, you know, uh, a depression in the ground. Um, you know, you look for things that just don't look natural. And, and uh, you know, the, the Spaniards, they would make rock monuments. Um, uh, they would, they would, carved on trees you know but but like i said the tree markings are are pretty much all gone now um the the maps there might be some family maps of where their their great-grandfather found something and and you know left a map and and so something like that you know you want to track down there's there's a there's one that that happened here in utah again you know where where there was these three trappers they was there was a group of them up the great salt lake and they and they split up from the great salt lake and, and looking for beavers and, and, and the one, three guys, uh, came down the, the Jordan river and headed into the, to the Utah lake. And then they, they skirted to the east side and they was checking all the streams looking for, for beavers to trap. And then they, they got towards the other end of the valley where it kind of closed off. They seen uh, an Indian encampment up where they was following a stream up. And so they skirted around the Indian encampment and ran into a hunting party and the hunting party started chasing them and shooting them with arrows. And so they was, they was hightailing it for the, 
for the mountains and and uh one of the, one of them got shot in the back and uh they they was losing ground and so they seen a a, a small hole so they they uh investigated see if they crawl into it they they crawled into it shoot their horses off and they crawled into it and after they'd been there for for you know a day or so they they uh noticed you know it opened up into a big cavern and they noticed there's some wood in there they lit a lit it on fire and went and followed it back to the back and found a stack of gold bars and uh the one they came back to tell the one partner they got shot and he he died so they took him back um made kind of a little casket out of the gold bars and put the the gold bars over the top of him so the animals didn't get him and then they they uh hiked out of there well they they didn't have a pen or pencil or anything so they just kind of committed to memory of of how to get to these gold bars and uh and when they got back to the trapping party um they didn't tell any of them but but uh they they uh went when they finished with their their trapping and got back to their meals where they was from the the one guy um left a map and a journal that his grandson found in in his uh uh footlocker and so he came out here mm. looking for it and that's how we know about this story in kind of the area but still you know he 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 married remarried and and was a successful business owner and didn't need to come back out here looking for this gold but his his grandson you know back in the 50s found it no it was back in the 20s found it and came out here and was looking you know and and we have a few families that he they tied in with uh that that that's how we've got the story and there's there's several stories like that that happened that the family members came back trying to find the family's fortune or what the family had found or what you know what their relatives had found and and so so that's how we have them stories they finally came to the light of day but but it's going to be a story like that you know that 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 most people don't know about that's going to be an interesting to try and follow up and see um if it makes sense first you gotta you gotta see if it makes makes sense at all you know yeah um so, well, in addition to you know some of these methods that we're talking about, doing your historical research, getting your your witnesses and documents and things like that, there's there's other methods that do uh, kind of cross over and would be considered paranormal by some people. Um, you know, a lot of it seems to be uh, uh, some intuition and, and hunches, whether that's some kind of a psychic phenomena perhaps or uh even like your experience it's, it sounds like you might have gotten some clues from the other side of the grave but you also have things like dowsing uh, which is considered supernatural to some people and there, there's other methods that that seem to be paranormal in the actual search for treasure so so yeah there's there's uh there's several things like treasure that has been buried for a long time um you have you have your 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 acid range you know your folic acids your nitric acids you all your different they when it rains it rains down on the ground it, it hits these noble metals and it doesn't really destroy them but it creates a gas when it hits them and if the atmospheric condition is just right it doesn't always happen it very seldom happens but if it's just right you know if if the if the atmospheric condition is just right, it'll percolate it up and create a gas, and 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 you can see it kind of like the aurora borealis, you know, oh, wow. and that's called a, a treasure flare. 
and I and I had a guy from Mexico come up. I used to sell and rent metal detectors back in the seventies and eighties, and I had a guy from Mexico come to my house. Um, he wanted to know if I had a metal detector that would would uh, go three or four feet deep, and uh, I can't remember if it was three feet or four feet. Anyways, um, he he'd found a, a Spanish treasure of of silver uh, coins. Uh, the, exactly that way. He he. Uh, the the townspeople every now and again uh, would see in this certain area see these um, this these colored flames coming out of the ground, and uh, it spooked most of the town folks thinking it was ghosts or something like that. Well, he was curious, so he dug up, and it was a clay pot full of these uh, silver coins, and so he'd heard stories of other. Uh, sightings like this. So he wanted to know if there was a metal detector that go that deep. And I guess it must have been three or four feet. And I don't remember exactly what it was. So we dug a hole in my backyard and he brought some of them coins that he found, a big a big um, um, jar of them. And we buried a, whatever it was, three or four feet deep. I can't remember. And what took the two box over the top of it and, and it found them, found them, you know. And so, so that, that story um, you know, things like that is the Spaniards used to do that. They'd sit up on peaks and, and, and at night and, and, and during full moons and that look for these, see if they could see these, these, uh, flares coming out, uh, of the ground and then they'd triangulate them, you know? So that's one way. Uh, another way you're talking about is dowsing. Um, you know, I had a guy come to my house. I, I found what I call the mystery glyphs. They're strange set of hieroglyphs neatly carved on a cliff wall uh clear up in the you know in the middle of nowhere i mean it's it's extremely difficult to even get to them and i thought it was spanish treasure symbols and i thought other things but but trying to research what they are i learned there was more of these scattered throughout the western united states some people think it has to do with knight's treasure or knight's templar or the knights of the golden circle or or, or montezuma's treasure or other things but i had this guy come to my house and he wanted to know um, where these was, and and they're in the mountains east of Provo, and that's all I would tell him. I would, you know, and he kept on saying, "Well, them symbols are in Provo Canyon." I'd say, "No, they're in the mountains east of Provo." And uh, one one, and he kept on getting me to say Provo Canyon. I finally, I I thought, well, I'm not going to tell him where they are, so I'll just let him keep on thinking Provo Canyon. And so when he left my house, he thought these things were in Provo Canyon, which is a long ways from, from it's a huge area from the mountains east of Provo to, to, to Provo Canyon. And even the mountains east of Provo is a big area. Anyways, when he left my house, um, he was thinking they was Provo Canyon. He comes back to my house uh, the next day with a map. And he'd map doused where these symbols were. And, and, he, and he'd ripped it off a full map. And he says, you know, when you told me them, Symbols were in Provo Canyon. I said, I never told you in Provo Canyon. I said, the mountains east of Provo. He says, well, that's what I want to ask you. They're here, aren't they? And he handed me this map. And I couldn't tell where it was at because it was ripped off of a, of a full-size map. And so he goes out in the car and gets the full-size map, and he puts it on. And he was right dead on. I mean, we're talking a, a 10, 15-mile difference from Provo Canyon to where these things were. And, and he was right dead on, and that amazed me. And so I wanted to see how he did this. And so what he did was he had a little vial with a gold nugget in it, and he drilled a hole in the, 
in the lid and he put a string in it and then he attached that string to a pencil and he put that pencil to his head and and hold it over the over the map and and he would uh kind of ask you know is is there gold here you know is there you know how is there gold bars is it a vein of gold is it you know if and he said he'd say is if it's gold bars how many is there more than a hundred is there less than 50 you know and he just asked like he's talking to somebody and uh and then he asked you know can i can i have you and it was said like there was a hundred gold bars there i i'm just making this part up because i don't re- really remember this was a long time ago i don't remember the exact numbers but he says can i have you know can I have some? And, and it told him no. And he, and he says, uh, man, there's a hundred gold bars here and I can't have any, what's wrong with you or something? He's like he's <laughs> talking to somebody, you know, and I ain't kidding you. It looked like somebody grabbed a hold of the, the bottle with the gold, the gold vial bottle and grabbed the hold of the string and pulled it out. I mean, it went from the pencil out to, to a triangle and then back to the bottle. And then it jumped. It flipped. It's like they pulled it out and 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 uh, let the string go and it jumped. And I thought, wow, because I'm watching his hands close. I'm trying to see yeah. how he's doing this, making this bottle move and all this. I'm thinking he's doing it with his own, you know, reflexes and stuff. And when it did that, there's no way he could have done done that. And then when Susie did that, he 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 put it up and he says, I shouldn't have done that. I was I was being sarcastic and making fun of it, and I shouldn't have done that. And he put it up, and that was. That was that for that day, <laughs> but, wow. I, but, uh, you know, he was right dead on. He was right dead on where them mystery glyphs were, but I watched him dig several holes and never find not one thing, not one thing. But, uh, with that said, you know, I think treasure that's been buried for a while. I think that, uh, the, I think the, the signal for dowsing. I think there's something to dowsing. I don't, I don't know what I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's cause I'm kind of a skeptic, but I think there's something to it, but I think it follows kind of a magnetism. And I think, or, or, you know, where, where magnetism kind of attacks this, uh, precious metals or metals in the ground. And, and I think because of the pull of the moon or something like that, I think it can be pulled off. And, and if you're off, if you're off two feet, you just will be a mile off because you don't know it. Mm. You know, I think I think there's something to it. I think these people are close, but but they're off. You know, they, they're off a little bit. And, and if you don't know which way or, or how far, you know, it just will not even be there because you, you, you have no idea. So that's when you got to take that kind of stuff and, and verify it with with metal detectors, with ground penetrating radar, with other sophisticated type of tools, you know. Yeah, that's what this guy did. He was doing it on a map. Yeah. You know, and, and people say that that works. And, and he was right dead on. There's no way he should have been able to just guess where the mystery glyphs were. And he was right dead on. So oh, that else. amazed me. I'm curious, Terry, about uh, the concept of like treasure spirits or like guardians of the treasure and the idea of curses on treasures and those type of things. You know, that's what people say that uh you know they the, there's spirits left to guard these things and and they're some of them are cursed and 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 maybe that's true before before that was said i you know before i had my ghost experience you know i thought yeah yeah right but now you know i i i don't know i've i've i don't know you know i've had i've had my my uh 
uh, hair standing up in the back of my head, you know, but I'm, I, I just played it off as me. I'm just a scared cat or spooked or thinking things, you know, and, and, and when you're out in the mountains at, at night by yourself, you know, you hear strange noises or you get your mind starts playing tricks on you and, and you start thinking things, you know, and I, and I just figure that's, you know, what was going on, but who knows? It seems also like uh, looking for treasure gets people out to some of these areas where there might be a uh, Bigfoot. Um, yeah, I have never, ever seen a Bigfoot. Um, I think I smelled one some twice and I, I've been in the mountains a lot. Heard that's um, not a good smell too. I think it, it was a terrible smell and I've never, I'm, I'm always out in the mountains and I've never smelled anything like that before. Uh, but I never seen anything, never heard anything, you know, and I, I thought the Bigfoot thing was a, was a, a farce, you know, I thought, you know, surely you, somebody you'd find a dead one or, or somebody would shoot one or, or, you know, uh, we should have pictures nowadays, you know, cause we got cameras back then, you know, back, back in the old days, you didn't have cameras and you didn't have time to pull them out. You didn't have it even with the phones, you know, sometimes it gets tough, but, uh, I thought there should be more proof than what there was, but I had a friend who would, who was honest. He would not lie to me. He told me when he was a boy scout, he sat and watched one for a half hour and it scared him so bad. And I don't know why it scared him. It didn't, didn't do anything to him, but it scared him so bad that, that, uh, he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't sleep out in the mountains anymore. You know, he, he just would not do it. And, uh, I know he would not lie. And I asked him, you know, you sure it wasn't a bear you've seen? And he says, no, man, this had like a human face and it was just a hands. And, and anyways, uh, so I got thinking, well, you know, I know he wouldn't lie, so I don't know what, what the deal is there. But then I, I used to do a lot of, uh, coyote hunting. I had an old boy tell me, you know, that, that the only reason you can even call a coyote in or get one is because you know, they don't have any logic. It's all instinct. You're the, you're all, they're all just trying to survive and, and eat. And, you know, if, if they had logic, the way that their keen sense of smell is their keen sense of sight and hearing, you would never, ever see one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he says, you know, you take a hound dog, a lion hunter who has a hound dog, they run them up and down a dirt road. And that hound dog knows when it picks up a lion scent you know, from the, from the distance of that dirt road, you know, seven, six, seven feet wide, it knows from one side of the road to the other side, which is the freshest scent, you know, in a seven foot area, it knows which way to go. And, and I thought, wow, yeah, that's pretty amazing. And I got thinking, wow, if Bigfoot had a keen sense of smell like that, keen sense of sight, keen sense of hearing and logic. I guess you probably wouldn't hardly ever see something unless it was an accident, you know? Mm. So. I'd see you coming first. <laughs> yeah. Hear you, see you, smell you, you know? Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Um, I want to get to some of these famous real big treasure legends. You you mentioned the Lost Josephine, which uh, sounds like you guys got got some good clues and got a line on. Uh, and the Lost Roads Mine. Um, can you go into a little more detail on the Lost Roads Mine? That was the first one that really got you got you started down this path. But it has to do with uh, early early Utah and Mormon history. Yeah. So so uh, um, Chief Walker um, Walkera he he uh, found this big uh, treasure um, 
and and uh, was kind of guarding over it and 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 whatnot. And and uh, he had a vision or a dream that that some white men with top hats would come into the valley, and he was supposed to give them to him. Well, the, he first came in was was uh, uh, Jim Bridger. And Jim Bridge, so he tried giving it to Jim Bridger and giving him some. And Jim Bridger just thought he was a crazy old Indian. And then uh, the Mormons came in, Brigham Young, and so he he uh, talked to Brigham Young about it, and they set apart a, a, a guy, uh, Thomas and Caleb Rhodes, and and uh, uh, to to go in and get this for for the Mormon Church. And he would oh, that's the only people that the the Indians would let into this this area was was the roads and and uh you know he would bring out the gold for him well well uh along the way um there was a a spanish uh uh pack train headed out um from the mountains and and got massacred by the indians and they sent uh thomas Rhodes to go investigate it and uh, he found a map on one of these uh spaniards bodies and it showed you know seven other locations and so you know, he he had an oath that he wouldn't go and and t- just take gold out of out of that sacred mine, uh, only when the Indians would let him, and only for 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 the for Brigham Young, but he didn't have a mo- an oath on these on these other mines. So he went and found them, and and back in the 1800s, you know, the the marked trees, the Spanish trails, they're 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 a lot clearer right now. So he was able to follow them, find the the markings on the trees, see the stuffs, and they're able to open some of these up and get some gold out for himself. But he never would really tell anybody where where it was. Um, he left a map when he finally died. He left a, a map to his wife, and and people have been trying to find that, and and people have ended up dead, you know, because of it. And people have some people have said they found have found some, and 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 there's all kinds of stories. Um, but it's thought that a lot of the early wealth that helped the growth of the LDS church was uh, attributed to the, the riches from this mine, some of these people say. That's, that's, that's what people are saying, yep. That's exactly what people are saying. And, so, and one of the, one of the, the things is, is, I don't know if, if you know the show Blind Frog Ranch um, on uh, the Discovery Channel? It uh, kind of goes a little... It, it goes into this a little bit, um, but that is a, a an area um, where not people knew. But but uh, in in uh, 2000, 2008, um, a friend of mine who just just passed away just last Thursday. He was he was a wealth of knowledge. He was my treasure hunting part, partner. A friend of mine helped me form the Ancient Historical Research Foundation when he was a a, a young guy. Um, the older Indians befriended him and told him a lot of things and, and he never would re- divulge or reveal, you know, what, what exactly they, they told. Sometimes he'd tell me some things, but he, you know, it was, it was their belief and his belief that it's, it's for the last days to save the, the country and, and, and things like that. But, uh, he did take me and show me where, where, uh, um, he thought this where they, they, the older Indians told him that, that, uh, uh, this mine was, was, uh, they, they call it the Karashinab and it's guarded by Towats. Towats is a rock structure that they said was, was, uh, kind of a figure of, of their God. And, uh, he took me and showed me that in 2008 
and we figured out and found a depression in the ground and, and I even bounced and it kind of on, on that depression, it kind of bounced up and down just a little bit, you know, like it had been uh, logs piled on it and dirt, dirt. And, and so, you know, we thought we was close to, to, to the area of where, where this was. Well, we go back in 2009 and uh, there's no trespassing signs and somebody's gone in and, and dug up the whole hillside and dug a big hole and, but they're not digging where we found uh, what we was looking for and the, in, and the information that he got from the old Indians. And, uh, so, uh, we was going to call the guy from Texas. We called him and talked to him. I was going to try and make a deal with him. But then my friend June, he went in and had a neck operation. They was going to fuse the vertebrae in his neck and they screwed up and, and it paralyzed him. And so we never, ever did go back on that one. But, uh, I don't know why I'm even tell, telling that story, but it's, oh, that's, that's part of, uh, you know, the, the sacred mine of the Karashinov is, is kind of on that area, the Blind Frog Ranch, the show on the Discovery Channel. There's a lot of, there's a lot of faults and misinformation on it, um, on this show and, and, and whatnot, but, but the basics that, you know, they're, they're according to my friend June, there, there was something there and, and more than just June, you know, there was some things going on there in that area. So, With the exception of the Lost Dutchman mine and all the Dutch hunters, would you say the Lost Roads mine has the biggest uh, kind of community that are, that are all working and, and sometimes working together to, to find it in the States? Yeah, there's, there's, there's several of them. The, the Lost Dutchman mine, the, the, the Lost Roads mine, the, the, you know, there was a big deal with, with, uh, uh, the Caballo Mountains and and uh, in New Mexico and and Doc Noss's uh, Victoria Peak, you know that's a that's a big area that a lot of people are searching for. There's there's several of them, you know. There's the, the 1715 fleet that's sunk in the hurricane off of off of Florida. There's a big group that's doing that. I mean, there's there's several big treasures out and about, you know. So. And then uh, I guess we're coming to one that is closer to us here, the mythology and legends around this idea that there was this secret society called the Knights of the Golden Circle, uh, which after the Civil War were kind of a Confederate underground that uh, hid caches of weapons and gold uh, across the South and American West. And me and Adam actually did a little bit of research i've been looking into some of the speculations around the james gang and their their involvement in all this because jesse james and his brother uh and associates lived in nashville for uh a few years um but uh can you can you introduce people to this idea of this uh this lost rebel gold of the kgc well the knights of the golden circle you know they they uh you know the saying that the south will rise again you know that's exactly what that was formed for they was Jesse James was part of it. There's, there was a whole group of them that, that was, they was, they would, they would rob trains, banks, whatever, uh, uh, bury this, like you said, gold and, and ammunition or rifles and that all across the, the, the all across the United States and particularly in the Western United States also, uh, that I'm aware of, but all across the United States. And it was specifically so that the South could rise again, there was going to be another civil war. They was preparing for it. And then the Spanish American war happened 
And uh, that kind of united the country and foiled all that, that plans. And so, you know, that never really happened. But all that treasure is, is still out there buried and hidden and, and there's clues and codes to it. And, and, and I, I don't know all the clues and codes to that. You know, I know people that, that, that do, but yeah, that's, you know, the rebel gold, it's, it's, it's hidden all over there. You know, there's several supposed to be here in Utah, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's a long ways away from where you guys are at, you know, but like I said, that, that was buried all over the country you know, just so that they'd have these stashes and, and places where they could, they could get to a stash wherever they was at, if they needed money, if they needed weapons, ammunition, whatever. So there's been a real popular book. Uh, I guess it's been out for a while now called shadow of the Sentinel originally. Now, uh, the recent publication was called rebel gold. Um, that's really popularized that. And then there's been some TV shows and stuff, but before that, a lot of this stuff centered around this, this book that was out of print called Jesse James was one of his names. And yeah, uh, I've actually got a copy of it. Book. Yeah. The black book. I got a copy of it that, uh, your friend Daniel Lowe, uh, oh, yeah. re-released and, uh, looking into that, there's quite the tall tales in that, but there's probably some kernels of, uh, useful information in there. And, and, uh, I guess all the, the treasure hunters interested in that stuff really just, uh, try to parse out everything in that book and even think that the entire thing is some kind of elaborate code. Yeah. So, so shadow of the Sentinel, that was by hillbilly Bob Brewer. He was, his family uh, was one of these garden guard, uh, guardians sentinels over one of these spots. And so he learned um, through going through the family files and whatnot, some of these codes and stuff. Um, interesting enough, you know, I talk about the mystery glyphs that I found. Um, and that they're scattered throughout the Western United States. There's uh, 38 of them now that I'm aware of that, that's scattered throughout the Western United States. Well, back in the early 90s, when uh, the I don't know how long the Internet had been going, I, I, I just learned about it and got a thing called Web TV. And I learned how to do I didn't have a computer and I got on the internet and thought thought wow man this is crazy that's the closest thing to infinity there was because it was just the information was growing by leaps and bounds every day you know Mm -hmm. and now anything you want you know you can you can research and find anything you want but but anyways i i i learned how to do html programming and i built myself a a website you know back in the day um it, it was a great website today's today's standards it would it would be nothing you know it's called the the treasure hunters hideout and i had some stories and some things in there that people just didn't know about and hadn't heard about and and pictures of the mystery glyphs and some, some stories and and anyway that hill hill billy bob brewer he contacted me and he told me if i knew it was good for me i would take them pictures of the mystery glyphs down because it was tied into the into the kgc treasure and he says if I, you know what if if I knew what was good for me, I'd take them down. Well, well, I I never did, and and uh, I don't. Other people speculate that these these uh, mystery glyphs do tie in with with the uh, uh, Knights of the Golden Circle, the KGC treasure, and 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 that's just as good a story as as any. So so who knows? I've I've I had a uh, a guy contact me from the Philippines who somehow has access to a satellite with some special software and filters on it. And he, and so I had him track down, track down, uh, one of these mystery glyph sites for me and, and scan it with the satellite. And he says there's like 12 or 13 different, uh, 
treasure stash there. And so um, I'm going to go up there. I went up there once. It's it's a it's extremely difficult to get to. And I went up there once and had my GPS to go where the satellite guy said that that these treasures would be. And I just had it on on my phone, the GPS on my phone, because it was on the it's on the face of the mountain, uh, the valley. It's great reception for a phone and everything. And so I got within 50 feet of the first location. And all of a sudden, man, my, my GPS just took off and started going random all over the place and wouldn't stop. And I couldn't, I couldn't get any closer than the 50 feet. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, it just started moving all over the place and it wouldn't, I couldn't get, you know, I couldn't zero in on, on where the location was. And I thought, well, maybe it's something cause I'm close to a cliff or something. It didn't make sense from where I was at, but uh, you know, so, so I thought, well, I'll abandon this one and I'll go to the next one, which was, you know, a hundred yards away. And I get within 50 feet of it and the exact same thing happened again. So I don't know exactly what was going on there, but that was kind of strange. So I need to go back there and track that down with a regular GPS unit, not my phone and see, see what happens there. Maybe the spirits was, maybe the spirits was messing with me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, this stuff is really cool. It sounds like it's really turned your, your life into an adventure, you know, and it, it causes you to, to look and interact uh, with your environment in a different way, I think, and look into the history of you, of the place that you live. I think anybody, if you, uh, you know, have like a newspapers.com account or your local library, you have access to your, your, uh, local papers database. Um, you can usually find a treasure legend in your immediate area and it might lead you to some, some other places. You know, I think it's a real, a real fun way to, um, to interact with, with the environment and history. Oh yeah. I can remember, I can remember back in the, in the eighties, uh, going through microfish, look, I was looking for a certain newspaper article on microfish, um, you know, before the internet. And, uh, I can remember while I was looking for the specific artifact or this specific newspaper article, I can remember reading an article about where, where I live, there's a lake and, and, and the pioneers back in the late 1800s, um, wrote how that there was lights, you know, three or four lights um dancing moving up and down and all around uh following each other and going around and around above the lake and you know for for 10 15 minutes and then disappeared i thought holy cow man this is talking about some kind of a ufo deal back in the late 1800s and i i wished i'd have got a copy of that and i didn't (laughs) so you never know what you're gonna find in in some of these old newspaper articles there's some great information great things in them with the the treasure hunting culture, you know, it seems like more than anything, it's about these uh, stories and and it's like a, a oral traditions that are that are passed on. And um, you're really making it a point to try to document some of what you call the the old timers and make sure that that their puzzle pieces to these stories live on, so we can continue to build on them. You know, I I met when I was younger. I met a lot of great old timers and. I wished I'd have recorded their stories, you know, because I, I I could not remember their stories like they told them. And even if I tried, I couldn't do them justice because they lived them, mm-hmm. you know. And so I did eventually start recording them with tape recorders, you know. And so um, I have a lot of them stories, you know, I, I think back in the late 80s, 
Um, I did start tape recording some of these stories, but there's so many stories that I never recorded that I wished I would have. You know, that's kind of what some of my passion with, with my YouTube channel was, you know, that I wanted to get some of these old timers stories and history and, and, and legends and lores written, you know, recorded in their voice, their, them yeah. telling them, them really living at them, you know, because, you know, that's just the best way. And so that's kind of what I've tried to do with a lot of my YouTube channels is, is uh, interview some of these old timers, their, their, you know, their experiences, treasure hunting, what they was doing, what they found, what they, you know, so. Yeah, I think that's great. Do you um, do you plan on releasing the audio of any of those old tapes you have, or just putting up the audio on YouTube? Or a few of them I have released, you know, and I and I get complaints, you know, hey, that that sound is terrible. Why don't you get a goodbye? Invest in a mic. Well, you know, and oh. I, I'm thinking this was never for you. You know, this was yeah. my own personal, and I'm yeah. just sharing it with you. And this was done with a tape recorder, you know, a cassette tape. Right. You know, back in the back yeah. in the eighties, and and <laughs> well, there'd be no complaints from us. I'd I'd encourage you to put put up as much of that stuff as you can. Well, Terry, uh, I really want to thank you for coming on. Uh, I think everyone should take a second look at this treasure hunting uh, culture and and history and legends and lore. I don't think it's just a subculture; it's really a, an American pastime, and um, it really goes back and has been real instrumental in in. Uh, forming a lot of a lot of who we are as a country like i said all this uh paranormal and conspiracy stuff that a lot of our audience is interested in it's all woven into it as well um but uh what's what's next for you and where can everyone uh find you and your your organizations and uh your youtube channel so my youtube channel is is just terry carter terry carter treasure hunter look for the skull and crossbones pirate with the patch or the one eye um, we're, we're putting together a, a, a treasure hunter UFO Bigfoot kind of gathering um, in here in Utah in, in Aldemont, Utah on August uh, okay. 12th and 13th. Um, free to everybody. Just just come and, and we're having speakers. Um, we, we did it last year and we had a couple hundred people come, two or three hundred. And I was surprised at how many people came from out of state, you know, um, and from how far away. And, 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 the, and the one thing that I was disappointed about was we just had it from, from the evening, we had speakers, you know, and so I never really got to meet everybody and talk to everybody. And I was, and I was so busy trying to video everything. And, and <laughs> we, we know the feeling on that, Terry, we understand. <laughs> we put a conference on ourselves every year. So, yeah, this year we're having a picnic in the park, you know, where we're, we're uh, we're meet and greet everybody and bring your own food and having a picnic and and then we'll have some open mic people talking. There's you know people can get up and tell their stories whatever and then the evenings we'll be having guest speakers and uh, so that's that's free to everybody. Um, August twelfth and thirteenth uh, here in uh, Altamont, Utah. It's called the Moon Lake Gathering or or something like that. I call it the treasure hunters rendezvous, but it's the moon Lake gathering. They're going to be talking about Bigfoot UFO and, uh, and, uh, treasure hunting, you know, and because it's a great, a great site, you know, we're right by Skinwalker ranch, right by, by, uh, uh, blind frog ranch, right. In the heart of all the Spanish treasure lores for Utah, you know? And so, so, um, we got that going. 
Um, the Ancient Historical Research Foundation. Um, I am just so busy, and we just not having have a lot to do. You know, time to do what we really want to do. Um, track down the ancients. Track down the 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 stories and find out if they're real. If 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 uh, you know these giants are real. If there's ancient cultures here before Columbus. If they're you know. Um, so that's uh, Ancient Historical Research Foundation. Um, I don't know if it's .com or .org or something like that. But but uh, other than that, I'll just be continuing on with my YouTube channel and and doing uh, doing uh, treasure hunting on on things that I'm working on. So I'm just gonna say, hey, thanks for inviting me. And thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for coming on. It's been really great, really, really enlightening to talk to you. We're gonna close out the show in a separate section tonight, but uh, uh, thank you so much. Um, this has been this has been really great. Maybe we could try to make it out there to Utah. You never know. We might try. Come on at least, out. At least Come some on year. Yeah. Twelfth and thirteenth. Yeah. All yeah, right. uh, the Utah treasure hunters will be there and a lot of other people, and we're just going to have a great time. Stay on the line for us, and uh, guys, we'll be back to close out the show on Conspiracy Normal. Welcome back to Conspiracy Normal, everybody. Uh, that was a very interesting show. We haven't really done these little postscript things in a, in a long time. We usually just end uh, the show as the guest is still on the line. But yeah, this was your suggestion to get him on. We've had him on before back in like September of 2020, right before the second conference happened. And yeah, to be honest, too, at that point, I was not as mesmerized by the treasure hunting culture as I am now. Right. Right. So you asked us if we could get him on again. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, I pursued it and, and got him on. But, you know, you, uh, you've you been looking into this stuff a lot. And, you know, I just want some of your thoughts on what he was talking about. And I, I guess viewing this as like a, uh, as its own kind of little subculture. Yeah. Because I don't know how many, like, these guys actually find treasure. It seems to be a constant pursuit that never really pans out. But like he says, you know, the the real gold and the treasure is in the quest itself and the yeah. lifestyle. and Probably that fellowship, too. And that yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and a lot of similar things that we experience. Um, and, you know, when I was, like, really revisiting the, the superstition lore, because, like I said, that was one of the first uh, mysteries that really intrigued me as a child. We used to go to the superstitions, like, all the time. Yeah. Right outside and, of Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, and when I started revisiting it, you know, I found weird kind of like mystical themes. Like, And I couldn't help but feel that there's like this overwhelming uh, relationship to those ideas of, of the alchemical quest and the search for gold, but it not necessarily being real literal gold and all the interpretations yeah. of that. And um, then the in the within the the Lost Dutchman lore, there is very strange things. Um, Jacob Waltz was the German immigrant who became known as Lost Dutchman, and there's all this lore around whether he had this uh, hidden had had found a hidden mine or treasure in the Superstition Mountains. It relies on a lot of an idea of a deathbed confession that he had to a woman named Julia Thomas and some other German speakers uh, there in Phoenix. But this 
woman Julia Thomas later goes on to uh, head a, a strange religious cult that had a like a fire temple mm-hmm. in in the front yard in downtown Phoenix. And there's other weird stuff in the Superstition Mountains with uh, Zoroastrianism. Oh, really? There's just, it seems like a lot of mystical currents in this stuff that really made me interested. And then I, I um, discovered the whole idea of uh, KGC and Rebel Gold and the, the Jesse James lore um, that tied that all back into Nashville and then back around again to the Superstition Mountains because in that book... Shadow of the Sentinel, it postulates that the superstition treasure lore also comes from Jesse James and his gang as well. So it kind of all went full circle and just finding all these weird currents of this this American folklore and this American pastime of treasure hunting um, that really, it enchants people's worlds, you know, and uh, it's been really interesting and I've used it kind of as an antidote to a lot of uh negativity uh in the paranormal and conspiracy worlds uh even though it crosses over these people in general kind of seem to uh not really be into uh fame or being a big personality or selling things besides maybe treasure books right but uh you know people actually do a lot of primary source research which is really cool and um this community and these like unbroken oral traditions and transmissions. It's really, it's really fascinating. I've really, really gotten into it lately. Yeah. It's like, it's a different world than what I think that what we talk about normally. Yeah. And people don't really think about it as being like something that's associated with the paranormal per se, but there's a lot of these legends and things that, you know, the, the paranormal, are involved with and then you know there's also as we kind of talked about there's also a conspiracy aspect to all this too like the elites don't want you to have the gold and that type of thing and And all the hidden history stuff because of course who are the you know the ones that we really think of first as finding a a lost treasure underneath the temple you know the templars and then all the ideas of templars in america and all that all that kind of mythology um, relates to this treasure hunting stuff because, oh, well, then if there were these secret societies or pre-Columbian contact, perhaps they were burying treasure or lost evidence of of different ancient peoples in the Americas, etc. And of course, like a lot of this has to do with the, um, the birth of the LDS church comes from treasure hunting, treasure hunting lore. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite the gumbo pot, but I think it really is neglected and kind of off in its own little world. That's often, uh, separate from the larger paranormal and, um, these fringe fringe cultures that we're a part of. Right. Yeah. It's very interesting. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, you wrote down here, but I don't think we got a chance to talk to him was the lost roads mine um yeah he had mentioned that some think that this wealth was part of a plan for the church to use in the last days to save the country whatever that the, means. the church means you mean LDS, the lds yeah the, the, mormons. the mormons okay yeah well that's that's interesting so so that's in utah i guess yeah as well yeah and then utah the, really the seems to be mine is yeah. that utah as well I believe so, yeah. Okay. Utah seems to really be the, the center of a lot of these um, these treasure hunting guys. I don't know if 
Terry is kind of like the bullhorn of this whole community. It seems like, yeah, uh, I think that there, there is a large amount of, I don't know how relatively recent it is. I think after the shadow of the Sentinel, I think there's really been an explosion in people in the South looking for KGC treasure. Um, so that mm-hmm. seems to be quite the thing now. And I don't have enough, uh, real connection, honestly, to enough rural Southerners to know whether that's yeah. n- a newer phenomenon or if, if there is as much actual, you know, unbroken oral traditions of that. Yeah. And we talked to, I mean, I talked to, when I had Jason Andrews on, we talked about the KGC stuff that he's like looking into and like Southern Illinois, Northern Kentucky and that mm-hmm. whole area and what, uh, what could possibly be there and you know there's there's a i mean i guess that possibility that the kgc knights of the golden circle that there was headquarters in nashville i guess at at a certain point or at least it is said yes in in the black room or not in the black book and we went we went searching for that location actually me and you so the so the black book yeah we went looking for that and we got think serviel thinks he knows where it is and we're pretty sure yeah, like there's there's a couple maps. There's a couple of houses in East Nashville that, well, one that actually has a historical marker next to it, right? Well, that was in yeah. White's Creek. That's where. That's Creek. where we okay. went. But there was the other one, the Red House, that was is where Jesse James and where Jesse James lived. Jr. was born. Yeah, yeah. And the church that he went to church is still there, I think. Right. Yeah, so. and this um. You know, the, going down the rabbit hole of that book was really interesting to just see, like, all this kind of Jesse James tall tales and, and folklore and how he really, from this folk hero, becomes an almost uh, superhero. Yeah. You know, and it... it yeah, it's, it gets, almost, it's pretty ridiculous. It's <laughs> pretty ridiculous, but it, it reminds me of Carnivals of Life and Death right. by James Shelby Downard. Right. Good point. Yeah. As it's like... It's very, it's ridiculous, but it's probably a collection of all these, this lore, tall tales, et cetera, that has some kernels of truth in it that may not be able to be found in other places. It's like an alternate history. Right. Of the United States and right. things that have right. happened and what could have possibly happened. And yeah. And yeah, and this, this KGC stuff really. This KGC connection to the the birth of the outlaw culture as we know it, you know, this stuff goes really deep, not just Southern identity, but American identity itself. Right. And um, it's been really fruitful, but I think that uh, this is something real interesting and I'd encourage anyone to like, you know, look into your your local area for for these treasure stories because you'll find other weird stuff. Found a newspaper article about this guy from Pennsylvania who was here with a psychic medium from New Orleans and they were supposedly looking for uh, some rebel gold in 1892. But then as I researched more and finding out who this guy was, it turns out he was actually in oil prospector so i'm thinking maybe this was like a cover story and they were actually looking for natural resources and not rebel gold but he had a supposedly had was using dowsing equipment and things like that so then the flip side of that is that he becomes successful as an oil and gas prospector through dowsing and was perhaps using psychic mediums as well because he actually became successful yeah um so yeah, you'll find a lot of other 
strange phenomenon revolving around treasure hunting. So it's a fruitful, you know, uh, part to add to your other investigations into the paranormal mysteries or conspiracy theories. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. That's a good rundown of that. Um, okay. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, thank you for taking the reins of that show. Cause I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> well, you know more now. I, I'm learning from you. Basically. And ter- Terry is just such a great guy. You know, he's the, he's the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. He really is. That's for sure. He's pretty genuine. Um, so guys, uh, just usual spiel. Um, Strange Realities Conference coming up October 14th through the 16th in Nashville, Tennessee at SIR Nashville. Get your tickets. Um, online is $30, and but in person is $70, and we would love to see you guys come out this year. Um, also, Patreon is uh, still up, and we got a, we're starting to put more and more up on Patreon. Actually, this week we'll have a Patreon about like what is going to happen at the strange realities conference this year just a little overview and you can find that at patreon.com slash conspiranormal and the patreon you know is just that there's nothing weird going on i know people said there's something weird going on with the show um lately i don't know what what uh, i don't know what uh, these messages yeah. these other guys that are coming on but uh yeah hopefully it's not yeah it's i don't know what there people have been alerting to me about that and i don't really know what they're talking about i guess i'm gonna have to go back and listen so give us your thoughts on that guys but uh, otherwise we will catch you next week on Conspiranorm purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.